Kia ora, welcome back to Flying the Fern, powered by New Zealand Stories, Fernmark License Programme and produced by Raw Collective. This series is all about telling the real-life stories of well-known New Zealand businesses that carry the official Fernmark logo. We dig into how they came about, the challenges they've overcome, and their contribution to the reputation New Zealand businesses have around the world. Kia ora. On today's episode, we have Sam Pickles from Red Shield. Cybersecurity is one of the fastest growing industries in the world, and today's guest is from a Kiwi company that's at the forefront of online protection. Red Shield provides unparalleled protection from DDoS cyber attacks, the likes of which have debilitated companies and government organizations all around the world. Sam Pickles is one of the founders who've identified the need for a different approach back in 2009. And since then, cyber attacks have increased exponentially and evolved to become sophisticated and incredibly dangerous. Throughout that time, Red Shield has proven its novel, proactive approach is both robust and efficient, helping companies all over the world to protect their data, their clients, and their money. It's an incredibly high-stakes sector to be in, and Sam talks all about how they've stayed ahead in an ever-changing game, the challenges they've had to overcome, and the fast-growing reputation of New Zealand's tech companies. Kia ora, welcome. Before we go further, I'm gonna, I notice you've got a very lovely pin there. I'm going to give you another one. There we go. That's, oh. a, that's the fern mark right ah, there. Thank you very Feel much. Feel free to add it. Perfect. Thanks, David. Yeah, no worries. And while you're doing that, tell me about your, if you were at a visitor coming to New Zealand, what would be the number one thing you'd tell them to do? I would say enjoy the cities, but make sure you get out of them too. Yeah. And actually, I'm born and bred in Auckland, but I would say start at the bottom. Of the country right. and work your way up, like Stewart Island. Well, I, I don't actually. I haven't been to Stewart well, Island, although I'd love to. But yeah, yeah down there, local. get it. You, you've got to make time for the South Island, and you've got to get out of the city. Good advice. Good advice. Well, thank you very much, anyway, Sam, for coming along. You're the chief operating officer and the chief technology officer and the co-founder. Yes, correct. Of Red Shield. Do you get three wages, or how does that work? <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. Wouldn't it? Just? <laughs> Not exactly. Oh. Uh, so currently, ninety percent of the time, I guess I'm focused on my CTO role. Yeah. Of a fairly technical founding group, I'm the designated techie, if you like, Ooh. and uh, I um, originally brought the IP to the partnership, and I've been delivering on the software and services since then. Fabulous. So we should probably step back and just explain what does Red Shield do. We're ten years into our mission to secure the world's web applications. Wow. So web applications, if you think like websites, basically, but more complex things like online banking, e-government, e-commerce, yeah. and so our service to customers is to put shielding technology in front of those to prevent them from getting breached. We discover weaknesses in websites and we discover and we, we detect uh, people doing bad things and prevent it. Yep. And uh, so we make sure that our customers don't get breached through their web apps. I like how you described it as a mission. You're 10 years into a mission. We are. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, it? It, it's funny. I was reflecting on this the other day and that's why those words are sort of uh, roll off the tongue, but it, it's been an incredible 10 years, but I also really feel like we are just just getting started. It's an incredibly fast-moving field, and yeah. obviously in 10 years we've grown very quickly. At the same time, the security world has changed, the entire IT industry has changed, so many things have changed around us, and with the pandemic, everybody's working remotely. That's driven an unbelievable acceleration yeah. of pace of change. With that, that brings security challenges. But I do find, though, that at this 10-year mark that we've managed to get a few of the fundamentals behind us, which is awesome, and we're, we're really just entering that phase of a company's history where yeah. uh, you go from garage startup to something more organised. I'd imagine, I mean, the world is now much, much more reliant on remote technology, you know, 
cloud-based tech or server tech, and therefore the need for your sort of solution is more and more all the time. It certainly is. And we've also seen a cultural change that goes with that as well. So I've noticed some of that, I would say, to our benefit, and some of it has been a challenge. So on the one hand, I see offshore companies that are looking to hire New Zealand staff, which yeah. is makes it a challenge for New Zealand employers. We obviously have to compete on a global stage. Yeah. But at the same time, offshore companies are much more willing to accept services from a country that they may not have been to. Right. And so I think that's, on balance of it, it's tremendously more to a benefit. Yeah, and that's, that's I suppose, a challenge for technology from New Zealand. And, we, you know, we think about this a lot. You know, when you're a food product from New Zealand, you can tell a story of the beautiful landscapes and the beautiful scenery and the provenance. When you're a technology company, what's the sort of story you're telling? Well, the, the New Zealand brand plays very well in the technology sector. Um, it's subtly different, obviously, to how it is in agriculture. We're more really, I guess, leveraging our pragmatism, our reliability, yeah. our likability as a nation. We're we're quite uncontroversial. And I think a lot of countries are are very willing to depend on us. Yeah. Um, we know that we are an easy company, a country to do business in. We know that we're extremely low corruption. Yeah. And we're just a safe pair of hands. And so that particularly works well for us in security. Yeah. We're, we're trusted. Our partnerships with other nations, in particular, um, the five eyes for us is very relevant. Yeah. Has been critical. Right. It's, I think it's a bit of a hidden thing about New Zealand that New Zealanders don't really appreciate because we, we know we've got a beautiful country. The bit we don't always talk about is how it's a trustworthy country and it's a place where, you know, high integrity. But that's what you sort of trade on. Yeah, absolutely we do. Some of our largest customers are larger than the entire New Zealand government, just in a single company. And so they they really have a lot to lose when it comes to cybersecurity. And so it takes an enormous amount of trust to be able to take on cybersecurity operations for an organisation of that sort of size. Um, How do you build that trust remotely, you know? Well... Particularly over the last couple of years. um, Remotely actually is probably the hardest type of all. I mean, it's hard enough actually for us to, you know, to go and live and and particularly we're interested in the US and and so several of the founders have lived over there. We've spent a lot of time over there and, you know, you you build those relationships uh, one meeting at a time. But doing it it remotely is certainly tough. Um, And I think actually we've, we've probably been through a phase over the last couple of years where we haven't been able to meet people in person where we've really had to leverage the relationships we were fortunate to have already. And I think we're just emerging from that. Um, At the same time, I mean, in our world, if you're a software as a service company, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, it does actually work, but it's very, very different to to that in-person. Yes, especially... Some, a service like ours, which depends very much on personal trust, yeah, and it's also quite complex. It's an enterprise sale. It's not sort of some someone doesn't come and buy Red Shield with a credit card off. Yeah, the I'll website. have three of them. Thanks. Can I get one in blue? Exactly. Yeah. It, it might take us a dozen meetings to get that deal over the line. So yeah, doing it yeah. remotely is all the more difficult. That's cool. And the values of New Zealand. Tell us about that. I mean, you've got this trustworthiness and etc. You know, do you do you think about that as you're going about your business? I guess, well, we sort of carry it with us every day, but it's. I think some of the advantages we've had with being a Kiwi company are, you know, with that pragmatic sort of roll your sleeves up attitude, we see problems and we just set about solving them. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't occur to us that in the process we might be being quite innovative and you step back and look at what we've achieved and you think actually this is unique on a world scale. Yeah. And sometimes other organisations might look at what we've done with, with a, a little bit of surprise that we've spotted this opportunity and, 
how did this happen? You guys are from New Zealand and you saw this uh, yeah. this relevant issue in the US and solved it for us before any American company. The other thing that we've really benefited from is our ability from a relatively small size of company to get across a lot of different industry verticals. Yeah. So very quickly we're across government and banking and finance and you know, telco and airlines. And, it, and I think if we were in a much larger economy, that would have been much harder for us. Yeah. And that, in ah. particular in our case, that gave us the opportunity to refine the business model much more quickly. Yeah, that's so another hidden us, advantage, isn't it? Sometimes mm, our small population size is to our advantage. You yep, can jump across. It is. And you, you hear the uh, the mythical kind of, you know, technology gets released in New Zealand first as a test market. Yeah. I think there's some truth in that. Um, I'm sure there's some, some actual cases of exactly that. But at the same time, I think there's technology that's developed here. And just that, that smaller size means I think that we're quite capital efficient. And along with that, that's another sort of Kiwi value of doing more with less and yeah. just being that bit practical. You know, we don't have unlimited resources. And so I think it was Ernest Rutherford, and I'm badly paraphrasing him, but we had to think a bit harder. That's right. We don't have the Money, we're going to have to think. Exactly. Clearly, being from New Zealand gives you this trustworthiness. Anything else? I think the other value that stands out for me, probably across all of New Zealand's industries, would be high quality. And we see this in clothing. Some of the, you know, merino, for example. Yeah. And we're probably, you know, we're we're all, uh, you know, wearing this high quality um, product. Our food and beverage sector is all aimed at the high end. That's right. It's, a, it's sort of the default strategy, actually. It's no point trying to compete on low cost, low quality, commoditized it is. stuff. And so I, I think that uh, customers are coming to us not expecting that we're going to be the cheapest solution, Yeah. but they're expecting it to be excellent in quality. And so we're, we're really striving after that high end premium end of the market. And it's another great thing about uh, being a New Zealand company that I think we can leverage. And we love it, of course, that you are, you know, flying the fern, as we say. You've got the fern mark there. You use it in your in your product marketing. Yes, we do. Yeah, and very proud of our relationship with NZTE, and proud to to market ourselves as a Kiwi company. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, and so, so I mean, the fern mark is um, it's great to have that endorsement as a, a company in good standing. It's not always um, tremendously well known across um, across the US as a trademark, but as a country, it blends together with many of the other things that we're famous for right. for innovation for the fern motif in general. Yeah, um, oh great. So it certainly has has worked really well for us. And so. Are there people out there, I'm just curious because the world's obviously a very weird at the moment, maybe it's going to be like this for a long time, but are there people out there that are basically spending their lives trying to attack other countries? And yeah. so you're standing in the middle yeah. between them and their Yeah, prey. we do, we do. Um, oh. It's increasingly, and this is something we've seen change very much over the last 10 years, attacks have become much, much more professional. In fact, I'd almost say industrial in scale, Yeah, where it used to be that Everything was, all of the websites were built by hand and security vulnerabilities were discovered by hand and attacks were done by hand. And now it's like we're just, we're farming thousands of applications and, and there are, you know, I, I looked on the um, on the systems just before I came. The last 24 hours, we've blocked around 5 million cyber attacks today. 5 million? Today. Wow. You know, so clearly you need pretty well automated it's systems to deal with it. That's not just but, you with a couple no, of keyboards. No, no, it isn't. We're not sort of sitting there watching the logs rolling down like the matrix and stopping, you yeah. know, stopping things one at a time. It's a, it's it's industrial in scale. And that's globe, you know, your customer base is global, I think, isn't it? Yes, so it could yeah. be anywhere. Yeah, correct. And the, so the attacks come from anywhere and there's a mixture of 
most likely government attribution is hard, but I yeah. would say government and organised crime, right, uh, attacking. And when you see things like at the moment, the, you know, the the war in Ukraine, do we see state actors taking part in this? That's the government pieces. Yeah, definitely. There are some rogue nations that actually raise money through cybercrime, exactly like criminal gangs, and then there are other just outright gangsters um, that are. It's the extortion and uh, and the you know other types of fraud yeah. um, and ways to ways to make money. As the world has moved online and all the information has moved online, crime has followed suit, and we yeah. now see that cybercrime is actually a bigger economy than the illegal drug industry. Wow! So. Okay. Uh, which which gives you a sense of the scale. And if you think how much money that puts in the hands of criminal gangs, it absolutely allows them to raise the bar in terms yeah. of professionalism. And they've got teams of people that work daylight hours um, out of city centres. How do you keep up with them? I mean, because you're in this constant fight or, you know, battle for supremacy. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I you're mean, the CTO at the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's a combination of things. Obviously, continuing to invest in research is critical. Yeah. And we've got some smart and talented people that work for us that love discovering uh, new types of attacks and new sorts of threats and then finding ways to create defences out of those that we can use to then deploy at scale. And so it gives us a special advantage, I would say, over probably over a lot of organisations that are doing it themselves, but it's not their core mission. You know, if you're a bank, you know, you're good at security, but it's not the main thing the company does. So for us, you know, that, that research program has been critical. And and then, of course, there's um, external advisors um, and partners. And right. a lot of our industry partners and external advisors have been critical to to helping us keep up to speed oh, with it. That's great. Are you allowed to tell us about any particular examples that you can think of of where you've supported or helped one of your customers? Or is it all about well, hush-hush? Uh, well, no, not really. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say, I guess, um, uh, actual company names, but if we think of the vulnerability side, it would be an organisation that wants to do something like, let's say, voter registration for an upcoming right. major national election. Uh, this is actually a, um, a state government example from the United States. And you'd take a piece of software like that and it might have, it might be possible, let's say hypothetically, that to log in using stolen passwords. Right. And so we'd have to put something in place to prevent that from working. And, and it's tremendously beneficial, beneficial to an organisation like that to not have to then go back and rebuild all of the systems that they've, right. uh, that they've built. Right, in the middle. We they've got the this middle. Old, maybe older system that's a bit more legacy. Yes. And you don't, you say, well, you don't touch that, we'll just put a, uh, a exactly. shield Exactly, we'll front. put a shield in front. And the, the, the reality is, so there's about 1.8 billion websites globally now. Wow. There's only about 27 million developers, software developers. So... And most of them are not available to fix web applications. So if you think for every engineer that's available to work on security, they've got more than 100 systems to look after. Wow. And it's it's incredibly difficult. There just aren't enough developers to stay across it all. So it makes it important for us to be able to do this at scale much faster than the time-honoured way of just fixing software line by line, which is hard and slow. Yeah, so if you're a New Zealand uh, business listening to this at the moment and you, you think, oh, you're feeling a bit sort of uncomfortable because this stuff is all a bit mysterious to non-techies, what should they be doing? On the bright side, there's a tremendous abundance of security talent in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, for some reason, although, look, all, all of our industries are, you know, smallish, I guess, on a global scale. But if you look at the the cybersecurity industry in New Zealand, there are advisory organisations 
that are just absolutely world-class in terms of their research and the quality of advice that you'll get. So if you go to the top of the industry, look at the award winners and work your way down, you'll be talking to some very talented individuals. And they can. uh, the the other thing I would say, I would suggest go to Institute of Directors, which is also a very helpful uh, place to get started, and start with the the three-page PDF and start asking the right questions at the board level. Are we spending enough? What are we getting for it? How are we doing versus the rest of the industry? Yeah, and uh, just asking those simple questions, and really, there are opportunities along with all of the these elevated threats. I, I think most organisations are probably not facing foreign governments so much as just day-to-day realities of just keeping your systems patched and yeah. and staying abreast of uh, the usual best case advice, um, best practice advice rather. Um, but I'd say starting with a good advisory firm to just just to help you understand where to focus, where to invest, what your program should include, and just ask some good, basic, the the dumb questions are the best. Yeah. What are we spending? What do we get for it? Is it working? Is it working? Someone said to me recently that, you know, uh, cybersecurity for directors is the new health and safety. And that, you know, there was a period there six, seven years ago where we all went, oh, jeepers, we better do something about this. It's not like something yep. you can ignore anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. It, look, we can't ignore it. But it's, you know, even though it might be, a little bit, I guess, inaccessible because it's it's technology and, you know, not, not all of our boards of directors are, are all techies. But nonetheless, the simple questions are all still absolutely valid yeah. um, around whether our risks are covered. It's another business risk and we have pandemic and we have fire and we have currency yeah. risk and we have geopolitical and, we, you know, it, it is just another, another one. one. Yeah, I have to say you've been surprisingly ungeeky. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. You're supposed to be pretty geeky. You're the CTO of literally a cybersecurity firm. Oh, you should be a bit more geeky. I'm, I'm hiding it. I'm pretty geeky. Are you really? Seriously. You, just, oh, yeah. you, you want to bust out some discussions about AI and blockchain and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. Bring it on. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, part of your job is translating for customers between, you know, these te- these highly technical phrases with things that people can understand. Certainly. And, you know, most of our customer base, in fact, probably the best fit customers for us are are not pure play technology organisations. You know, they might be governments and, and you know, they've got technical people, but it's it's not their main mission. And that's, you know, that's what we'd like to do. Your job. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Sit in the middle. Where do you think the business is going to go? I mean, it feels to me like cybersecurity is only becoming more important. Where does that I, leave I think you? So. Well, we're we're seeing, um, sadly, and this is where I'll show you how geeky I am. I've only ever worked in security. It's been twenty something years now. Wow! But I've seen it sort of come and go, but it just it feels like a couple of years ago it hit the top three priorities at board level. Yeah, and probably just in fact before COVID, I think cyber was kind of the, maybe the main thing that we were actually focused on as a risk. Um, uh, it's still somewhere up there, and I I can't see it going away in a hurry. So for us. The key is really to continue running hard with R&D and keep bringing innovative products to market. Yeah, I think keep focused and stay in our lane, which enables us, even as a smaller organization, to compete on a global scale yeah. and grow geographically and export. And it's, you know, it's what, that's the name of the game for all of us. It's, I mean, we, I, I love the New Zealand market and our customers here are, are wonderful and, and they're our foundation. But you know, it's it's obvious that the uh, you, if you're going to grow, you're going to grow internationally. You, yeah, you do, and and the competitors are are international as well. So you just you know get out there and meet them and uh, go and win deals in the US. And uh, do you and see any impediment to that growth? Or is it just all upside from here? Well, uh, there's so much green space for our industry that there's plenty for us all to be running after. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's any impediments in, anywhere near us. We have a heck of a long way to go before we reach... Before we start uh, heading a barrier. ...global market what about saturation. about talent, though? That's the big one in the tech sector, <laughs> Yeah, yeah talent it? is tough. Um, I, th- I think, though, 
to the extent that we might find it hard to find talent, I think our customers find it worse. And I know that our competitors are also finding it uh, tough as well. What we have to do is just focus on creating that culture and that brand that people want to work for uh, and focus on developing people. I think in our industry, I can't afford to be reliant on people with a fully baked and well-formed skill set yeah. Uh, walking in the door, we have to take smart people them. and train them. Yeah. And uh, and so that's a, a competitive advantage. I think the better we can do that. And keep ahead of the bad guys. And keep ahead of the bad guys. And, yeah. and actually, you know what, sometimes I think the bad guys are suffering from a lack of talent as well. Good. Um, Long may it last. Yeah, We don't absolutely. need more bad actors. No. <laughs> when you got Tom Hanks. Anyway, um, <laughs> final questions for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to show us your geek potential here. All right, all right. All right. You unleash. What are the top three technical trends that uh, people should be thinking about? Well, uh, I guess for people I think about mostly here about businesses and or government, large organisations, yeah. obviously, clearly it's the move to, uh, to cloud and that technical transformation. I think what uh, then that feeds into, it's probably got some some trends underneath it. One of them is something called serverless, and this is starting to get geeky. Come on. So Bring it on. Serverless is... If they're uh, still listening at this point yeah. of the podcast, they, they're clearly <laughs> interested. So I think we can unleash now. So this is the ability to create software without worrying about infrastructure, networks and servers and all those other things that go underneath it. And yeah. that's, um, that's a tremendous uh, acceleration benefit, I think. I used to work for Microsoft. We used to sell things that had nothing underneath them. Um, this is in the old days, not anymore Microsoft. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it enables people to focus on the things that, you know, you, you do the things that only you can do. You understand yep. your customers and you understand your designs and your business and so forth, but don't don't worry about servers and networks and all of those right, things. Right, we'll take care of that. And as an aside, for, for us, that, that means that we have to become part of that sort of abstracted infrastructure where we just where we just plug in and yeah. security just runs and we'll manage the details of that. And, and by gosh, there's a lot of detail. Fantastic. I can imagine there are. Other types of megatrends, um, obviously, I, I think that the whole um, home and remote working thing has been huge. I think we probably still have yet to see how far that has left to run, but it's accelerated. I'd say things like, you know, the online shopping economy versus retail. I know retailers must be finding it tough, but they're finding ways to blend online with uh, yeah. with bricks and mortar. And I just think we're going to see that moving faster and faster. It's had such a shove by uh, all these COVID lockdowns. Everybody's broadband's gotten faster. Everybody's devices are now uh, all up to date and everyone's used to it. I think that online economy is just going to keep accelerating. Right. Well, plenty of work there for you guys to be doing out there by the sound of it. There seems to be. More and more. Well, Sam, thank you very much for flying the fern. Thank you very much, David. Wonderful to talk to you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast series is all about highlighting the amazing work New Zealand companies are doing in a variety of sectors and spaces. If you like this episode, there's plenty more great stories from Flying the Firm podcast that you can listen to. Just go ahead and check them out where you found this one. We're also highlighting the Fernmark license program, which we talked about during the episode. The Fernmark is our national symbol and a country of origin mark that helps Kiwi businesses promote trust, authenticity and credibility by leveraging the good reputation that New Zealand has overseas. To find out more or to apply to be part of the program, head to our website, fernmark.nzstory.gov.nz. And lastly, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others find us. Hide it for now.